paranormal, the unusual, uh, conspiracies. Welcome to the All Things Strange podcast. We are your hosts, Agent Anderson and Agent Ether. Come along for this week's episode. But first, check out all of the links in the description on the link tree where you can find the Discord, the merchandise, the Patreon, and more. This week's episode, The Assassination of Robert Kennedy. There's an F in there. I forgot what it stands for. Frederick. It's not Fitzgerald. <clears throat> Excuse me. Apologies in advance. My my throat's a little scratchy. I hope I'm not getting sick again. That would be unfortunate. COVID again. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it's still COVID. Maybe it's just long COVID. All right. This was voted upon by our Patreon subscribers. We've got three wonderful tiers for all of you out there. We've got the first tier, which gets you early access and after hours. The second tier gets you bonus episodes. And the third tier allows you to vote on upcoming topics. This time around, we've got a good one. The assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. So I am not a history buff and I must not have paid attention in school because I actually didn't know that RFK was assassinated. Yeah, and this is the brother of JFK. The JFK assassination, of course, is very well known. They made that movie about it with Donald Donald Sutherland, I think, and um, Kevin Costner, I believe. Long time ago in the 90s, I think. But it's a very well-known conspiracy. It is so well-known that I'm surprised we haven't done it yet. But this one, not as well-known, but kind of more interesting in some ways. Well, there's a lot more evidence, in my opinion. Yes, and we will definitely get to that. So I just want to start, let's see, I wrote it down. JFK was assassinated on 11-22-1963, and his brother, Robert, was assassinated on June 5th, 1968. So just, let's rewind a little bit to the presidency of JFK. And actually, when he ran for the presidency, his brother, Robert, ran his campaign. And there's some family stuff that went on there, and there was some other brothers that had political aspirations. We won't big, get into... Big family. Yeah. We won't get into all that stuff, although somebody did request the Chappaquiddick incident, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point, but we're not going to do that today, involving another Kennedy. But... Uh, he was, so Robert ran his brother's campaign and he was, he was pretty much key to getting his brother elected. And after he got elected, he was a big part of the administration as well. I think he was appointed attorney general. Youngest attorney general ever. <clears throat> Good old cronyism for you there. But it's also said that he was basically like co-president. He did so much stuff behind the scenes that he would pick up the slack for his brother and stuff. And it's the closest thing we've ever had to having a co-president, according to, you know, historians that... Some sources say. Yeah, some some sources say. <laughs> I forgot where I saw that. But this, well, this one is, this one is like so much to it that we're not going to necessarily go in any meaningful or logical order because there's just way too much to talk about. I kid you, I know I say this a lot, but I kid you not, this one easily could be 10 episodes. Easily, no problem. I could no problem at all. I could do ten episodes on this one. There's just that much 
to it. We're going to do it in one episode. So it's not going to necessarily be a beginning to end kind of a thing. So anyways, Robert was a huge part of his brother's administration. His brother gets assassinated. Robert goes on to become a senator in New York and then run for president himself. He's running for president. And at first he didn't want to run at all, but then buddy, buddy, Sorry, everybody. He didn't want to run at all, but then President Johnson, who I talked about a little bit in a bonus episode about the Nixon Watergate scandal. This is happening around the same time as that. President Johnson said he did not want to run for president again. He was wildly unpopular at the Probably time. Probably mostly because of the Vietnam War. Yes, exactly. It had nothing to do with him using his Johnson to uh, obtain certain goals. <laughs> People didn't care about that, apparently. It was the Vietnam War that pissed everybody off. Oh, boy, dude. President Johnson would be canceled immediately these days. <laughs> but, yeah, so he he uh, he didn't run. And then that made, um, the, that gave the possibility to a few other Democrats to throw their hat in the ring and go for the nomination. And a couple of them went for it, and one of those was Robert Kennedy. And at first, it didn't look like Robert was going to get much traction. It didn't look like he was going to beat out some of the other people who were also running, like Dewey, I think, was his major competitor. But um, after a couple of key events, uh, for example, the assassination of um, Martin Luther Mar King. Mar thank you, Martin Luther King. Uh, Robert Kennedy gave a speech, you know, calling for peace between the races. And this is that I mean, was an amazing speech. You could hear the genuine emotion in his voice. I was moved just yeah. hearing it secondhand. I cannot imagine how people who were there in person would have felt hearing that speech. Right. And there were riots in a lot of cities, but where was he? Cincinnati, I think. I don't know, but there, I weren't, forget. there weren't riots but there. Where he gave the speech, there were not riots. So he actually had an effect on the people. And one of his big things, he was really into equality. And he spent a lot of time shaking hands and speaking with minorities, particularly black people and Mexican people or Hispanic. I'm not sure what the correct term is, but... Um, Very much a supporter of Cesar Chavez. Yeah, and Martin Luther King. Yeah, Cesar Chavez. The um, not not the boxer Julio Cesar Chavez, but the actual the farm guy in California who was uh, organizing farm workers, uh, basically illegal immigrants, for better working rights. Um, judged judging on how the workers are treated these days, I can't say that he was successful, but that's a whole other topic. But. He was a huge proponent of equality and of people working together. And this was a reaction that went directly against some other people of the day. Like, for example, Malcolm X, who was a proponent of violence. He wanted a violent solution, you know. So he was really successfully, actually quite successfully, bringing people together in a time when, you know, you think people are divided in the States these days. It's nothing like it was back then. Back then, people were violently divided not just blacks and whites but also people who are protesting the vietnam war were being shot you know there's some famous cases where people you know peaceful protesters were killed by you know military sent to round them up and get them to knock it off it was a crazy time uh if you think times are crazy now 
go ahead and open a crack open a history book and look at the 60s things were pretty pretty much worse back then quite a lot worse but anyways let's not get into the 60s too much if you're curious by the way look up uh, political assassinations in the 60s there was a bunch of them just a slew some of them were you know CIA <laughs> some of them were not uh, there are, you know some people think that um, another one they think that uh, uh, what's his name the um oh we just said it uh, the um the black leader. What was his name? Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. King. I My do, goodness. It's one of those days. A little bit of brain fog. Yeah, a little there. bit. Of, the brain fog is real, I guess, people. But yeah, so he. some people think he was actually assassinated by either the FBI or the CIA because we know they didn't like him. They saw him as as um, like anti-government, basically, going against the status quo. The FBI has files on him. And they, well, we won't get in. That's a whole other topic, actually. I should put that one on the list. It's pretty crazy. Anyways, back to uh, Robert Kennedy. Or Bobby. Or Bobby, as he was sometimes knows, or probably more commonly known as Bob Bobby. or Bobby. Yeah. yeah. As, as he was, he was going around and he was trying to get, uh, I won't go into the details of our political system for the foreign listeners. It's weird. But in order to run for president, you have to go to a bunch of localities, to a bunch of different states, and get local support for, from your party, basically, to become the uh, the nominee for that party. He was doing that, and pretty much on the day that he gained the party's nomination, he, he, didn't, he hadn't technically gained the party's nomination, but he cinched a couple of key places, like California, which is where he was. He is pretty much the instant he cinched the California nomination, he was killed. And we can talk about this a little bit later as to why that may or may not be important. It could just be a coincidence. I don't think it is, but maybe it is. I don't know. So he was at the hotel, at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles on June 5th, 1968, when he was shot dead by a man named Sirhan Bashir Sirhan, who was a Jordanian-Palestinian immigrant. And that's like the short, short, short version of the background. We could easily do multiple episodes just on the background of the thing. But we're talking about somebody who, if he had, if he had not been shot, he would have ran against uh, Nixon. Nixon won by um, by who? He, I think he went against Dewey eventually. Uh, unless I'm getting my names mixed up, eventually got the Democratic nomination, and Nixon won by a hair. It was really close. Now, what, what a different country we might have had. Yes. Had he gotten elected to the presidency with yeah. the kind of messages that he seemed to genuinely believe in. Right. He, uh, he genuinely did believe in these messages. And people say that he would have been, him getting elected would have been even a bigger change than his brother, JFK, getting elected. And he was so popular that it's pretty much guaranteed that he would have defeated Nixon in an election. I mean, that's pretty much established as a fact. He, he was just, hands down, way more popular. But anything's possible, I don't know. But it's generally believed he would have been elected for sure if he had gotten the nomination, which, you know, if, yeah. he, hadn't, if he hadn't been assassinated. The Vietnam War probably would have ended sooner. Yeah. The Vietnam War for sure would have ended sooner because he was definitely anti-Vietnam War 
Uh, he was butting heads with the CIA, so he might have curtailed their activities. There's a lot, you know, but like I said, he was part of his brother's administration, so he was already part of the machine behind the scenes. So there's a, there was a lot going on right there. So the, the basic story, we'll, um, we'll skip a lot of the, the background. So the basic story is he was at the hotel and he was doing appearances and stuff. He was doing speeches. There were, he was moving from one room to another. And uh, about 12 a.m. Oh, wait, no, that's okay. So yeah, at 12 a.m. He, he addressed his supporters in the hotel's ballroom. And, uh, and so he was there pretty much all day, right? That's when he started doing his stuff there and he was moving around. There was lots of crowds and there's lots of, this is one of the things that's really, really cool about this event is that there were tons and tons of media everywhere, all over the place. You have video, you have audio, you have photographs. photographs. You have reporters taking notes. Not to mention just so many people there as eyewitnesses. Yeah, but ton of witnesses everywhere. And we'll get, this becomes very, very important later on. So we'll, uh, I'll, I was going to talk a little bit about the, the events of that day, but it doesn't really matter. Basically, he was there giving speeches, doing political stuff. So after giving some kind of speech in the ballroom, he was supposed to move downstairs to go to a different room to do other political type activities. At the last minute, his campaign manager, I believe it was his campaign manager, I forgot his, his name is in the notes further on, maybe we'll talk about it, at the last minute changes the route and instead takes him through the kitchens where the, the kitchens are sometimes referred to as the pantry by witnesses. The area is a lot narrower and cramped less room to move it it's it's um it's the perfect spot if you wanted to get away with shenanigans because there's nowhere to go so he's in there with 77 other people when sirhan walks right up to him and shoots him very almost point blank with a pistol and this is the official narrative of events he gets shot one of the bullets goes into his into his head and does some damage to his brain. He falls over. He is still conscious. He's on the ground. And one of the last things he says is he's, he asks if everybody is okay. And then he loses consciousness and they they take him to the hospital and he passes away the next day. There's a very famous photo that I saw of, of one of the bus boys holding him up. Yeah. And I actually saw an interview with him and his name was uh, Juan Romero and he couldn't even talk about the incident, and it's been how long, without tearing up. And he said he just wishes that it was him who'd been shot. And he was describing getting hate mail. Hmm. Hate mail. Wow. As if it was his fault or something. I can't imagine that. Well, he was there. Uh, the president, or, or not president, uh, Robert was, Bobby, was shaking his hand. Yeah. As he was doing, he as he went along, he was shaking everybody's hand, as you do when you're running for office, I suppose. He was shaking his hand when he was shot, apparently. Mm -hmm. And the we're talking about a uh, 17-year-old person here, uh, not quite a man yet. I guess it, you're kind of a man, you know. But he was a very, very young man at that. I mean, I can't imagine even being a grown-ass adult, but imagine when you're 17 
you're shaking hands with somebody who just gets shot in the face right in front of you, and then you're holding them on the ground as they die. That's just that's, that's got to shape your whole life. Yeah, that can't that cannot be easy to deal with. Oh wait, I forgot to open the chat and I saw a comment pop up. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, we got so unforgiven agent says I hate that now that I'm on the East Coast I often miss these lives, but with RFK Jr. in play now I had to make sure to tune in while I can. MLK, who really killed him? Yeah, that's a whole other conspiracy. I should put that on the list. And um, yeah, well, thank you for joining us, Unforgiven Agent. This is this weekend was kind of uh, the scheduling was kind of hectic, so we had to get it in when we could. But uh, Unforgiven Unforgiven Agent said, at seventeen, I was enlisted in the army and headed to basic training. I can't imagine seeing the president's brother shot dead. Yeah. That's, I mean, I can't imagine either. At 17, I was basically just, you know, a dummy. <laughs> yeah, I was I was just, you know, just a kid. Not, you know, still in high school. Not even anything. But, yeah, so that's, that's like the short, short version of the events that happened. There's a lot that went on. And we will talk about, um, let's talk about a little bit of this. We'll go through it. Uh, let's talk about different aspects of it, I guess, because, there are, it's so complicated. There's so much going on here that it's really kind of hard to make a beginning to end narrative. So let's talk about individual pieces of it. First, let's talk a little bit about Sirhan and his life. We won't go over it in great detail, but we'll just... He, so he, he was quite young himself. Yeah, he was 24 at the time. And um, I at last I checked, I Googled it earlier, he's apparently still alive today. Is he? He is, yes. Oh, and still in prison. Still in prison. He was actually just granted parole, I think, in 2022. He Every once in a while, he goes up for parole. He was originally given the death sentence, but for legal reasons, they that became... There was some legal stuff going on with death penalties back then, and for legal reasons... It, they turn that into the uh, into a life sentence, and every few years he's up for parole, but he's never gotten it. Just recently, in 2022, they gave gave the parole board a different set of criteria, and they granted him parole. But Governor Newsom came in and said, "I don't think so," <laughs> you know. And let's be real, people: if you shoot a presidential, if you shoot and kill a presidential candidate, you ain't never getting out. That's it. You're never getting out. Or did he shoot and kill a presidential candidate? Right. Will we will get to that? But anyways, his early life. So Sirhan was a child. I think he was born in Jordan, and he was a child in Palestine, where he was witness to many horrors of war. For example, his brother was run over by a military truck right in front of him while the truck was avoiding sniper fire. That's terrible. I don't remember how old he was when this happened, but he was a child. He know? must have been young because they immigrated over here when he was pretty young. Yeah, he was pretty young. And I again, I can't even imagine. And I, I forget, the, I didn't take specific notes on this, but I did read about it. I think one of his other relatives also died. Maybe another sibling died over there in a war. And they immigrated to the United States now, wasn't it because they were Christians and they were kind of forced out? I don't know. Story? I know they were Christian, though. Yeah. So over there, uh, there are certain times and periods where there were, uh, may maybe there still are, but you know, Christian Arabs were forced to immigrate basically because Christians are not very well liked in certain places in the Middle East. So they they came to the United States when he was still pretty young, but I I can't I have to imagine that that 
had to have left its mark on him. You know, that being growing up in a war torn, I mean, I can't even imagine. I've I've seen a I've seen a fist fight. That's like the most violence I've ever witnessed. A drunken fist fight, you know. <laughs> the, the that's the most violence I've witnessed in person. I've I have not wis- witnessed anything anywhere near what this guy saw when he was just a child. I can't even imagine. So fast forward a little bit. At one point in his life, he wanted to become a jockey. He was just a little guy, little tiny guy, and he was training. He was at at a horse place, you know. And he was training to become a jockey and he had a, a unfortunate accident. He fell off the horse and hit his head really badly, he had a really bad head injury. And his family said that after that, he didn't seem like the same person. He became reclusive. Uh, his brother said that he had, he was acting weirdly, like he was sort of shaky and he just wasn't the same after that. He went to the hospital for a little bit and, you know, maybe we'll talk about that later. And he also joined the Rosicrucians. It's on the list. <laughs> it's a, it's a, you know, a secret society or cult or something, but won't go into detail on who they are because that's a whole other, whole other, you know, can of pickles, but he joined them and he be- became a, had a personality change. And if you follow things like the NFL and stuff like that, you know, that that is possible with head injury for people to have personality changes in certain circumstances. So that's, you know, the very, very short version of his life. There's a lot more to it, uh, but that's, you know, we only have so much time here and we want it. There's so much to get to that. We're just going to keep it real short with his life. But also I saw an interview with, with Sirhan's brother who said that he could not see him doing this. He was such a gentle person. And he gave an example that most people would use a fly swatter to hit a fly, but when there's a fly in the room, Sirhan would open a door and try to get the fly to fly out. Like that's how gentle of a person he was. And another person interviewed, I think, was a former employer of Sirhan's, who said that he was he was not a brave person. He was the kind of person who would tend to run or avoid confrontation. I think the word he used specifically was he said that he was like a chicken shit to use an American terminology, he said. And I don't know if that's exactly fair, but the point is he was not the sort of person who would storm into a room and shoot somebody down. That not was, not prone to anger, not yeah. prone to violence. Yeah, exactly. So this was completely against his personality type. But then again, if somebody has mental problems, you never know, right? Well, and some people do, you know, spontaneously commit murder. It is often not premeditated. Right. Yeah. So the day that Sirhan um, assassinated Robert, there's a series of events. Apparently he spent six hours that day practicing at a shooting range. And there's a little bit of a dispute how he even got the gun because he was not a California or United States citizen So he shouldn't have been able to buy a handgun, but yet somehow he ended up with one. I saw an interview with Sirhan. He said that he was shooting at the range and he brought the gun home for him or home from there, or he he kept the gun from the shooting range. It wasn't his gun. His brother in an interview said that Sirhan had him buy the gun for him from a mutual friend. That where does the gun come from? We don't know. It appears to be disputed Although, do you remember that interview with Sirhan? It was kind of creepy where... Every interview with him is kind of creepy. He kind of, like, he's smiling when he's talking. Yeah. 
And like, he looks like he's trying not to smile. And that's one element that you can look for to see if somebody's lying is if they're like, they're trying not to laugh while they're talking. And I don't know what that means, but like the guy just looks, there's just something creepy about him. And he's talking about how remorseful he is. And it was the blackest day of his life. And he's smiling. Yeah. And it just honestly sent chills down my spine. It's weird. Yeah. But then again, being in prison your whole life for decades and decades will probably make you a little bit weird. That's true. But so who knows? It's, I don't know. It's a really strange situation. So anyways, he went to the range and shot for six hours, which probably not unheard of, but it's a little unusual for somebody to go shooting for that long, (laughs) especially these days with bullets being so expensive. After that, he went to Bob's Big Boys. He saw a mutual friend there, wanted to play pool with them. They declined, and he had some dinner. Um, but I have actually never been to a Bob's Big Boys, although there used to be one I where I lived. I think they closed down. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's any of them left. I'll tell you what, man. Bob is one creepy bastard, though. <laughs> that big statue out in front of the restaurant. No, thank you. So he he finds out that there's you know this activity going on in the area, and he goes to the hotel. Has he describes a, it as a party. He's looking for a party. Yeah, he has a bunch of drinks for, for Tom Collins, even though he's not a drinker. And then he says that he was sleepy and he went to get some coffee. And that's where things get kind of interesting because he meets this woman who we'll get back to in a little bit. He pours her a cup of coffee. He pours himself a cup of coffee and he talks to her for a little bit. But, um, we, you know, I couldn't find the hypnosis session transcripts, but there's a recording of it out there. It's weird, right? But anyways, let's, let's not get too far ahead of us. So that is his basic, the basic schedule of his day. Now, after the fact, he was found with an article, a news article in his pocket about uh, RFK sending planes to Israel to help against Palestine. And this is his cited reason for killing him. He says that this made him very angry. And before that, he found out that RFK had sent planes, he was a big RFK supporter because everybody was, you know, he, people loved him, especially in democratic heavy areas. But he saw something on the TV that where, you know, he found out by watching the TV that RFK had sent these planes And that had sent him into a rage. Now, here's the weird thing. One of the key pieces of evidence is that his in his diary, he has a diary where he wrote, I I tried to find a copy of this, but I I could find images, but not the entire... I saw in that documentary they had images. Yeah. I couldn't find the entire diary, only pictures of certain pages, but he wrote over and over and over again, RFK must die, Robert must die, Robert Kennedy must die, just different variations of on that. There's a page I saw where he wrote his own name, RFK must die, Sirhan Sirhan, I don't know. It's stuff like this really weird stuff like that, but apparently he wrote that stuff like that thousands of times in the book. Now he said that he didn't hate Kennedy until he found out about the planes, but if the dates in that journal are correct, and we have no reason to believe why they're not, he started writing that journal before he saw that on the TV. So he was writing the journal before the event that he says sent him into a rage, before he was aware of that event. 
So that's a little discrepancy there. That's kind of weird. What does it mean? I don't know. It's just another another little weird thing about the case. It, but it suggests that his reason for killing Robert is not true. There's something else going on here. And boy, howdy, will we get to that. But the fact that he had the article in his pocket is also kind of strange. It looks almost kind of like a plant, right? Okay, here is my notes. Fred Dutton was the campaign manager. That's the guy who apparently made the last minute change to go through the kitchens, which was a narrow, narrow corridor that was jammed full of people. All right, now let's get to the first piece of strange evidence that makes me question the official narrative. And that would be the number of bullets fired. Sirhan's gun only had eight bullets. He used a 22 pistol. 22, if you're not familiar, is a very small bullet. A normal revolver will have five or six bullets, depending on the size of the bullet and the size of the gun and, you know, the design and all that stuff. But most of them are six. This one was eight because the bullets are very small. Normally, a 22 would be used for hunting squirrel and things like that. Small game. They're used quite often for target practicing, learning how to shoot because the bullets are cheap and they're not as dangerous as a, a bigger caliber gun. In fact, I, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that if somebody shoots you in the head with a, a 22, the bullet might not go through your forehead because it's just not powerful enough. They don't have stopping power and they are generally not used for self-defense for that reason. So he used, a, he had a 22. That was the weapon eight bullets. And after he fired off, depending on the description that you read, he walks up to Kennedy and he fires off between two or three bullets and people tackle him to the ground and they're holding him on the ground and they're, he won't let go of the gun and they're slamming his hand onto the ground. Or I think we had him on a table, actually. They're slam slamming his hand down, trying to get him to release the gun. And he keeps firing off bullets as this is happening. So he he didn't have he did not have a chance to reload his gun. However, people reported hearing more than 8 shots. And another detail about him firing off the gun by the way is after the bullets were gone, he kept pulling the trigger over and over and over again until they were finally able to get the gun away from him. Kind of weird. Also, witnesses who saw them said that he looked like he was in a trance the whole time. We'll get to this a little bit more in detail later, but something really, a really exciting development happened in this case. Somebody found, I don't know exactly when, but after the fact, years and years later, somebody found an audio recording of the assassination itself. We do not have video, but we do have an audio recording. They gave this recording to an, an, an audio expert who was able to analyze it, and they found a couple of strange things. For instance, would you like to talk about this, Agent Ether? I'm watching you. Okay. For instance, the, the audio expert found 13 separate gunshots. Not eight, but 13. Distinct. Distinct gunshots. gunshots. Now, this is highly interesting because this proves the existence of a second gunman. It's not possible for Sirhan to have fired 13 shots. It just isn't. 
it physically was not possible. There must have been somebody else there firing bullets. The end. That is a fact. And we have the audio to prove it. And this didn't surface until after the fact, as I said. Another interesting fact is that the audio expert found two instances uh, of double shots. That is, shots that were fired extremely close to each other. So close, in fact, that it would not be possible for Sirhan to have pulled the trigger this quickly. And they actually tested this. They went and got an exact model of Sirhan's gun that he was using, and they got an expert to take it to a range and try to fire the gun as quickly as possible, and they were not able to fire the gun as quickly as these shots happened, which again proves that there were two guns there because he could not have fired it this quickly. Not that you need that proof because you have more than eight shots anyways. This audio was given to a second expert who only heard 10 or 11 gunshots, but it doesn't matter how many gunshots there were. There, It's conclusive that there were more than eight shots since Sirhan was tackled right away and did not have the chance to reload. We have many witnesses who were there and they all said that he was tackled right away and he did not reload his gun. That's, that is a fact. If we have even nine shots, all we need is one more than eight. doesn't matter if it's 10, 11, 12, 13, whatever. That is proof positive that there was a second gunman. You know, it's funny is that specifically looks like it was all over the news, but people never talked about it. And you think they would. You think right. this would be something, you know, that people at least, you know, gossiped about. And it was, it, it, it's not. Well, the, the LAPD wrapped up the investigation pretty quickly and they gave people their conclusion <clears throat> and people believed it. They, they said, we've investigated it, and this is our conclusion. Sirhan has confessed to the crime. He was the killer. The end. And that's, you know, that's what they told people, and that's what people believed. Yeah, people really trusted in the police in a way they don't anymore. The government in general. People yeah. don't trust the government in general these days, and it's not a good thing. And there's a reason for that. But let's not go down that whole rabbit hole. So, yeah, so that's... That's the first thing I wanted to talk about that's extremely weird is the fact that um, there were more than eight shots fired for sure. Now, there's another problem with the official story, and that's that the bullet trajectories do not match what the official story says they are. They said that the bullets were fired um, from behind and the side, and upwards. Witnesses said that Sirhan was firing level or even down a little bit. He was not firing upwards, according to the witnesses. And there's another really big flaw here in the official story. You know what that is, Agent Ether? Tell me. Well, Sirhan was firing from in front of Kennedy, from in front of him. The bullet that killed him hit him in the back of the head. Very strange. Maybe it bounced around. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know for a fact that it didn't bounce around because the coroner's report says that the shot was fired point blank to the back of his head. 
Sirhan was ne- never got closer than three feet to the president. This is something that all of the witnesses agree on. He never got closer to three feet. Some people say he was a far, as far away as five or six feet. The point is he was not point blank. And you can tell if a bullet's point blank because of the powder burns on the victim. So he, he could not have fired that bullet that hit the president or president. I mean, I keep saying president, but that hit Bobby in the back of the head. That's just, he just could not have fired that bullet. That's another piece of evidence that sort of exonerates him. And there are people who believe that Sirhan did not fire the shot that killed the president. President, damn, this brain fog today is brutal. I apologize, people. <laughs> I'm sorry. They, they hit, they killed Bobby. So that's another piece of evidence that conclusively proves that there had to have been another gunman there. The coroner's report along with the witness statements. There are zero witnesses. There's not a single witnesses who, who claim Sirhan fired shots from behind Bobby. They all said he fired from in front at a distance of three or more feet. The coroner, coroner says conclusively that the bullet was fired point blank that killed him, right? And the bullet trajectories that went through him went through him at an angle from underneath, whereas Sirhan was firing at an angle of of level. So that's another interesting fact that proves that there was another gunman there. Everybody's attention, though, would have been on Sirhan Sirhan because he's there. Right. He's right there. He's in front of them. He has the gun. Um, So I can see how there, there might be a second gunman that somebody, nobody saw. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that is one of the many, many strange things about this case. The report, the official report and explanation or conclusion does not match what the witnesses said happened. Kind of strange. It gets stranger, however, because it turns out that um, the LAPD who did this investigation worked closely back in that day. I don't know if they still do, but back in that day, they worked closely with the CIA. Maybe more on that in a minute. Before we get to that, there are photographs of the scene. Like we said, there were, there are so many pictures and movie. Dude, the, the press was there filming before he died, right? We have, we have his last moments of consciousness anyways, filmed on camera because the press was everywhere. They were there before the, you know, before the paramedics or whoever could have gotten there. So we have pictures of bullet holes in the wall. Now, if you looked at the trajectory of the bullets, first of all, the, all the bullets, if you're counting, if we're counting eight bullets, seven of them were lodged into various people, and one of them went up into the ceiling and was lost in the ceiling. None of those bullets should have hit the wall, and yet there are bullet holes in a door frame that should not have been there. Kind of weird. Where did those bullets come from? They certainly didn't come from Sirhan's gun. And there are pictures of these door frames from the day of the event and from the days after the event where you can see bullet holes and you can see in a couple of places where it looks like they tried to take bullets or probably did take bullets out of the door frames. The LAPD took these doors away and destroyed them. They no longer exist. They destroyed evidence. Why would they do that? Yeah. 
That is that is true. I read that as well. I don't know. I don't know why they would do that unless they were covering things up. All right, let's see. Next page of notes here. We got a, a ton. <laughs> let's see where we at time-wise. Yeah, we got, okay, let's see. Let's move along here. Uh, I talked about the autopsy, the distance. Um, oh, yeah, so there was one of the witnesses uh, who was interviewed later there's a discrepancy in what he said in that interview and what his written statement said. Um, he was he, he was a witness that said there was some discrepancies between what he said and what other witnesses said, but his statement matched what other witnesses said, but his interview didn't. He said that his statement was not in his handwriting and that that's not what he's... He's like, that's not what I saw. That's not my handwriting. The witness statement that he gave to the police that's kind of weird. What does it mean? I don't know. But his his written statement backs up what other witnesses said, which supports the idea that there was a second gunman. But his interview actually kind of goes against that idea a little bit. Why did he change over time? Did he change over time? Don't know. It's just another weird detail of the case. But regardless of whether or not he said that, the coroner's report alone and the audio recording proves the fact that there were uh, multiple gunmen. All right, let's see. We talked about the door frame. Uh, these witnesses. Oh yeah, I don't know. I think I mentioned that. Witnesses said that they saw bullets lodged in the door frame when they were there that day. That's another kind of a weird thing. All right, now let's talk about the security guard, Thane Eugene Caesar. He was apparently or allegedly a plumber working at, um, where did I wrote it down? Working at Lockheed and apparently in a, like a top secret area. I couldn't really find exactly what he was doing, but this is one of the people that is suspected of having shot, uh, having shot Robert. One of, one of the theories. Yeah, this is one of the theories. Now he does have that tie to a top secret location for Lockheed, uh, I saw that he was a plumber, but I was not able to verify what he actually did for P- Lockheed. He was supposedly moonlighting as a security guard, and he had taken this particular job last minute. Now I'm thinking to myself, okay, if you're working for Lockheed and Burbank and you're working in a top secret area, you think you'd be paid enough to where you wouldn't need to work a second job moonlighting? I don't know. He was a plumber. I don't think it paid that much. I could. Who knows? I could see that. I Who mean, knows? And it did require security clearance. It's not like he just went in there and he's nobody and he's guarding this presidential candidate. He did have to get clearance through the Department of Defense. Right. That's true. But he was a last minute, uh, last minute hire, though. He hadn't been doing this for very long. I don't know what it means. Maybe it means nothing. I don't know. But the interesting thing about, about this fella here, Caesar, um, we'll, we'll call him uh, instead of Thane, Eugene, or Gene, let's call him Caesar. Uh, he, after he was there that day, he eventually moved to the Philippines and he, he owned a gun, a 22 revolver that he sold. He says he sold it before the assassination, but evidence suggests that he actually sold it after. There's some discrepancy there. But people say that he had pulled his gun. He says that he pulled his gun. But he says he didn't fire. He says he didn't fire it. Yeah. One witness says 
that he the witness says he saw Eugene fire the gun, but only one witness says that. Other witnesses do not do not corroborate that. Um, Eugene says that he had a 38 revolver. That's what he was equipped with that day. We don't know for sure, but we do know that he owned a 22. We don't know if he was using it that day. Uh, no, another interesting thing from the audio recording is that they found some of the shots had a different frequency Meaning than different, others. Different gun. A different gun. Even though they were all 22 caliber bullets, uh, they didn't find any 38 caliber bullets anywhere that I'm aware of. But they did test the type of gun that Caesar was supposed to have owned, and the sound profile did match that gun for the second for they said it was at 1600 hertz or something. So that's interesting. But on the other hand, that's the only other type of gun that had the rifling that matched Sirhan's gun that was being manufactured back then. And the bullets found matched Sirhan's gun. What does it mean? I don't know. It's weird. That's what that means. <laughs> but this is one of those weird, weird ones where it's a lot of people believe that Caesar is the second gunman. But there's enough discrepancies to where um, I'm not sure. And if you kind of look at it in, under certain ways, it doesn't make sense that he was the gunman. He doesn't really have any strong ties to anybody. There's no reason why he didn't have any motive. He, he was just kind of there. He was a right winger. He did have. He was very vocal when it came to the Kennedys' views about, um, you know, society, poverty. Uh, communism is yes. a big one. Well, and he had been quoted saying that he did not like the Kennedys. You know, he he didn't like them, but... Basically, he, he thought they were going to flush America down the toilet. Yeah. But he also was quoted as saying, yeah, I didn't like them, but that doesn't mean I was going to kill them. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So it, this one, I don't know. He was standing... Behind and to the right of Bobby, which which is where that's the direction Bobby was shot from, at least the the shot that killed him. So he was in the correct position to deliver that shot. However, well, and he was also holding the Bobby's elbow, kind of guiding him through the corridor. However, the corridor was so crowded. We're talking about a little corridor crammed full of people. It was so crowded that anybody could have snuck their hand in anywhere to fire off a shot. Yeah. And it was a chaotic situation. There are witnesses that I saw interviews from who said that I heard a couple of shots go off and it took me three or four seconds before I even realized what was happening. And People, by, people thought they were firecrackers. Yeah, I thought it was firecrackers. By the time I realized what, what was happening, people had already tackled Sirhan. So it was a state of confusion, a state of chaos. Anything could have happened. The very strange, the strange and sad fact is that we don't have a ton of witnesses who said, yeah, we saw this guy behind Robert shooting him in the head. Nobody saw that, which I find strange, but that's a fact. So it's a mystery. We don't know. This is one of the foremost suspects, but we don't have anything proving that he did it, even though he was right in the right spot to have done it. What do you think, Agent Ether? Yeah, I'm kind of skeptical that he was involved. It seems like too um, easy of a conclusion to make. Oh, it must have been him because he just so happened to be <clears throat> at the right place at the right time. Right. And I, yeah, I'm just, for me, I'm just not connecting the dots, you know, although it is a possibility 
I'm not connecting the dots. Before I looked into this case recently, I'd heard of it before, and I figured, well, what if some, you know, some shit was going down and the security guard pulls his gun, fires it, and it accidentally hits Robert, right? What if it, he accidentally hit him and killed him? But if you look at the shot was fired at point blank within one inch of his head, that's not an accidental hit. That's a deliberate shot. You don't accidentally hit somebody from a distance of one inch. You just don't. So that's that's a theory that I had thought before that maybe the the whole thing was just a tragic accident that was covered up because um, that you know this guy would have been crucified in public. His life would have been over. But I don't know. Probably not. Right. All right. Let's see. We talked about the bullet holes in the wall, the door frame, the witnesses that uh, say the bullets were lodged. Okay. We're talking about Caesar. Oh, here we go. This is a this is a weird one. This is a weird one, guys. And we're going to start talking about the CIA pretty soon here. The woman in the polka dot dress, Agent Ether. Yes. Do you want to tell us about the woman in the polka dot dress? No, this is where I checked out because I was so tired. So we were watching this documentary. In fact, we watched several things about yeah. this topic. I started with the uh, interview with the busboy, <clears throat> and then I watched. I don't know, a 40-minute documentary about what life in America would have been like if Bobby had been elected president, which I actually found more interesting, I have to say it, (laughs) than the conspiracy. (laughs) I was like, this is really good stuff, and I got to see everything from a historical perspective. I learned a lot about politics and the Kennedy family, and I was able to kind of to see that future and what it would have been like and look back at it and say, what if? And then <laughs> there was a two-hour documentary. What was it called? It was um, that we watched together. Uh, RFK okay, Must Die. Must Die, which was in the diary. Right? Yes, that's what, yeah. So we're, we got, I want to say an hour, 20 minutes through this, and then we they started talking about the lady in the polka dot dress, and then I think I had, I had checked out by that uh, one. Well, that's where that's where <laughs> it starts getting good. The problem is, so Agent Anderson will have me watch with him these types of documentaries, and we were watching one. What was the topic that we did last week? With, uh, we do so many topics. We do two a week now. So, well, that's true. I don't so, know. <laughs> which one? We did we did one a couple weeks ago, and oh, it was on it was on uh, not propaganda, but. Um, not propaganda, but uh, subliminal messaging. Subliminal messaging. Thank you. And the the episode that he put on for that was about two hours. And talk about subliminal messaging that put me right to sleep. Well, that was a good summary of everything, and that's why I put it on. It was so slow. It was it was not that interesting of a documentary, to be honest. It was very slow and very boring. But let's get back to the case. <laughs> the um. I put I so Agent Ether doesn't always have the time or inclination to do all the reading and research that I do. So often I'll try to find a documentary to put on so she gets an overview so we can discuss stuff, have you know, have conversations and whatnot. Sometimes she does do a lot of research. It just depends on how busy she is that day. But in this case, uh, I put on a documentary and there were a couple of things in the documentary that I hadn't found elsewhere. But RFK must die. If you want a one-stop shop for this stuff. It's 
the best was, place to look. It was definitely comprehensive. It's comprehensive. They interview many, many people involved. They interview people who were there that day. They interview people who were shot that day. They interview many witnesses. You can see them talking on camera about their experiences. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was really, it was good in that aspect. I really liked it. And I do remember from the... I'm just going to call it a documentary. I don't know what you'd call it. Case file. Mm-hmm. Um, that many people insist that they saw this woman in a polka dot dress and they describe her very specifically. And right. the problem is there's a woman in a polka dot dress who is later interviewed. Yeah. And she has, I think, blonde hair. But the woman that everyone else was describing had dark hair. Yeah. So we'll get to that in a second. A witness named Sandra was actually outside of the kitchens. She was not in the kitchen area. She saw a woman in a white dress with black polka dots and some frills around the neck walking with two men into the kitchen area. And then the assassination happens. And then one of the men and the woman in the dress come back out. And she says that they said that we did it. And she says, did what? We got him. We shot him. That's what they told her. Now, she was shown a picture of Sirhan later on. The man that went in and did not come back out was Sirhan. She identified him. And there are people inside of the kitchens who also identified this woman, this mysterious woman in a polka dot dress, Those witnesses described her the same way. The only difference is some of them thought that the polka dots might be dark blue or violet rather than black. But depending on lighting conditions, a dark blue or violet can look black. Absolutely. And they said that she was with Sirhan, talking to Sirhan, or near him or interacting with him, right? Depending on which witness you talk to, people saw her in the corridor with Sirhan. And then after the shooting, she comes back out with this other mysterious man that we don't know anything about, and they apparently just leave. And there's another woman at the scene who is a completely different person who is in a yellow dress with green dots, not polka dots, big dots. Oh, I couldn't tell from with, the interview because yeah. I think it was in black and white. With oh, they had pictures of her in color too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. With um with blonde hair, not brunette. And they said that many witnesses saw the mysterious lady in the polka dot dress, but the police said that this was the woman they were talking about, even though her description doesn't even remotely match the description of the mysterious woman in the polka dot dress. It's not even close. But her dress did have spots on it, I guess. So they sort of conflate the two and they say, oh, this is what, this is who people saw. She was in the corridor. She was in the kitchen or pantry, whatever you prefer. Kind of weird. I know there was an elderly couple who reported to a police officer a very similar story and that the woman in the polka dot dress comes running out saying, we killed him. We killed Kennedy. Right. And there was an interview with that police officer um, somewhat recently, like in the last decade or two, where he recounts this story. And and unfortunately, it was an elderly couple, so they're probably not, you know, with us today. But, I mean, it's a police officer giving an account 
of a witness statement. So to me, that's just as conclusive as if the witnesses themselves had come forward. Right. So Sandy or Sandra, what did I say her name was? Let's see. When, yeah, Sandra. I wrote Sandy here for some reason. I'm not sure why. Maybe they, maybe that's her nickname. I don't know. But she was she was interviewed by a police officer named um, Hernandez. I forget his first two names. I just wrote Hernandez. So Hernandez interviewed her, and she said he told her not to talk about what she saw about the woman in the polka, polka dot dress, and he basically harassed her until she agreed to sign a statement saying that she recounted her testimony that she saw the polka dot dress lady and that she basically made it all up for some reason or other. And that is just insane. And she said she did it because she trusted the police. She felt it was the right thing to do. Right. And he also had her retract her statement that she had seen Sirhan going in with the polka dot dress lady. Uh, Let's see, another witnesses. Yeah, so... We talked about that one and that one. Sorry, my notes are kind of messed up because there's just so much to cover. All right. So another thing about this Hernandez guy is he apparently worked for the CIA as well, in addition to working for the LAPD. And he had gone to South America for who knows why, clandestine reasons. But we know that he went there working for the CIA. Kind of weird. Gets weirder and weirder, doesn't it, Agent Ether? It does. It does, yes. Okay, now we didn't talk about one of the strangest things of the case was that not just Sirhan himself, but also people that visited him and spoke to him later, uh, pretty much immediately after the events, said that Sirhan did not remember what happened. Yeah, he said that himself, too. In yeah. The interviews I saw that he really just couldn't recall yeah. what had happened. And there's this really weird hypnotics, hypnosis session that's on tape where he's being hypnotized and they say, okay, tell us what happened. And he says, oh, I'm walking, I'm drinking coffee with this woman who is, by the way, that woman that he was drinking coffee with was the woman in the polka dot dress, or at least we suspect that's the case. And then he says, yeah, I'm drinking coffee. All right, now I'm being tackled. And the guy goes, wait, wait, what happened? What happened before that? I don't know. I'm, I'm being tackled. I'm being you know, pinned to the ground and that's it. He has a total blank memory. He has a hole in his memory and his, he said that people who spoke with him, like his mother and his brother said that as well, that after, after that, that he didn't remember what happened. We actually did a whole episode on hypnosis. We did. And we did a whole episode on Project MK Ultra. It's true, but I do. So one thing I do remember from our episode on hypnosis is experts say you can't force somebody to do something under hypnosis. But then you and I were looking at cases, for example, where someone had been convinced to take money out of the ATM and give it to uh, a robber. They were a victim of a robbery. Right. So I'm not sure. Well, and we're talking about like stage hypnosis and that kind of stuff. You you can't get somebody to hand over the deed to their house. But we're talking about the CIA, who, if you remember our episode from Project MKUltra, they were able to do things like completely erase people's minds. So whatever a stage hypnosis is, hypnotist is doing is nothing like what the CIA is working on. And we know through documents that the CIA was definitely attempting 
to create the so-called Manchurian candidate. That is a person that could be programmed to assassinate a target. I guess this could have been a test case even. Well, no, this this would not be a test case. A test case would be having him assassinate something that doesn't matter or go on a shooting spree or something like that, right? This is a case where this this would be their um, their deployment of that weapon. Of the Manchurian. Yeah. As I said earlier, many, many witnesses said that Sirhan looked like he was in a daze during the event. When he was tackled, he repeatedly squeezed the trigger over and over and over again, if, even after the bullets were gone. He just kept pulling the trigger. His grip on the gun was so powerful that many people working together were not able to wrestle it away from him for a long time. And after the fact, Sirhan didn't seem to show any remorse, but he said, and his family said, that's because he couldn't remember what happened. Sounds an awful lot. I saw an interview and the police said he was very cooperative. Yeah. He he didn't know he was in trouble. So he answered questions and was cooperative and was apparently himself and, at that point in time. And apparently he didn't even know why he'd been detained until his arraignment. Yeah. He had no idea why he was in custody. He was just, okay, I'll go along with you guys. I'll cooperate, you know, because I don't know what's going on here. And remember I said his diary where it looked like he had just written over and over and over again in the diary. Right. You know, RFK must die. And that he wrote that before his reason for wanting to kill RFK. Which was sending the 50 fighter jets. The sta- right. The statement that he was going to send fighter jets to Israel. And there, there are people like, um, people who know about hypnosis. There's a couple of people, what was his name? There's a couple of people who were interviewed in that documentary who said that if you were going to program somebody, this is how you would do it. And they said that this looks like Sirhan was programmed to do this. Like there there are legitimate, um, what was that guy's name? Oh, it's later on in the notes. I'll get to it later. But they, you know, there are experts in hypnosis who say that, yeah, we think that he was programmed to do this and that he was programmed to not remember it so that he couldn't he couldn't tell who programmed him. He has no idea. Now, how might the CIA have accessed Sirhan? How did they meet him? Well, we don't know. We don't even know that they did. But if they had run into him, uh, oh, by the way, the expert hypnotist said that he could have been programmed in two months or three months using one hour a day sessions. They could have programmed him to do this. That's his opinion. And he, they, where would they have met him, though? How could the CIA have met him? Well, remember when I said he got the head injury earlier, and after the head injury, he became a dis- different person. That might not be from the head injury. We know from our previous episode we did on Project MK Ultra, one of the places that they targeted were hospitals particularly mental hospitals, but hospitals in general, they experimented on patients without their permission or consent. So when he went to the hospital for his head injury, that could be where the CIA got their hands on him. And we know that the CIA was operating in California. Could be. It could also be when he joined the Rosicrucians, that could also be a CIA front because we know that the CIA had different fronts for their experiments 
such as hippie cults, such as brothels, such as other places. We don't know all of them because the documents are all destroyed and they probably didn't have a documentation trail for all of it in the first place. But there are possible possibilities here. And I'm wondering if these personality changes were due to heavy experimentation with psychedelics and things like that rather than a head trauma. It is interesting, but at the same time, you have to wonder how they would have gotten a hold of him day after day after day, or even once or twice a week without anybody knowing, without he himself knowing that he was being put under hypnosis, that this was happening to him. Well, if they got their hands on him in the hospital, then they would have just had full access to him. It depends. I guess it depends on how long he was in the hospital for. Well, it's apparently a serious injury, and... If Even if they had full access to him for just a week, they could have done enough to program him to come back when they needed him to, right? If, if they figured out how to program people, which I think is a possibility, that seems to be, you know, what some experts think happened, then why not program them to say, okay, meet us here every night at this time? Who knows? It's just a possibility. We don't know, but we do know for a fact that the CIA was experimenting on people at this time in hospitals and through other areas like, you know, fronts like the, you know, Operation Midnight Climax, (laughs) one of my favorite operations, I suppose. All right. Now there's that hypnotic transcript I was talking about where, you know, one of the things that really struck me was he was talking about, they're, they're asking, okay, where are you now? And he said, I'm in a very dark place, but there are lots of lights. And this, that's all he could remember about the assassination event where he was at that time. He couldn't remember anything else. When the hypnotist tried to push him to remember um, what had happened during the event of the shooting, remember himself uh, with a weapon, with a gun, remember himself shooting Robert, he just started babbling incoherently, basically. You remember that aging ether? I do remember that. It was kind of creepy. That, But that was, I don't know, hip, hypnosis is... Um, inconclusive. I'm not an expert on it, so I'm not sure what that means exactly, but that just look up that hypnosis tra- or hypnosis recording. It is friggin' creepy. All right. Oh, another detail. Witnesses said that he had dilated pupils suggesting he was drugged. Pretty weird. I don't know what that means. Could be a, he had a concussion. Could be he was drugged. But your pupils don't tend to just do that by themselves. If a cop pulls you over looking for a DUI, that's why they shine the light in your eyes to see if your dials to see if your pupils will dilate. Because if he you're on drugs, had four Tom Collins. Alcohol does not do that. No, okay. I don't think so. No, only drugs. Not alcohol, just drugs. All right, didn't know he was arraigned. Let's see. Oh yeah, he was ha- happy, acting normal. Didn't. Oh, is another detail. He said that he did not remember writing that notebook. Yes. Pretty. Yes, I remember. Friggin' that. weird, right? So if you're trying to program somebody, having him write something over and over again thousands of times like a mantra might be one way of achieving that goal, right? And remember I mentioned earlier he had the newspaper clipping on him. About the airplanes. That was really weird. What a that, coincidence that he just happened to have the clipping in his pocket. It just, it smells like a plant to me. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I don't know. Would you really carry that around with you? It's weird. It's just weird. 
Dr. Spiegel, that was the guy's name. Dr. Spiegel was the hypnotist who, who talked about him in the documentary and said that he was convinced that he was programmed. Let's talk about why the CIA might want him killed. Do you remember any of this, Agent Ether? Um, I, I do. Okay. Well, there's a couple different reasons they might want him killed. One, of course, being his brother, JFK, and all of the conspiracies and, you know, odd things involving his assassination. Maybe if he was elected to president, then he would want to look more into that. Right. So assuming there were shenanigans involving his brother's assassination, which there definitely seemed to be, although the evidence doesn't seem as conclusive as it does for this case, but I haven't done the deep dive on that one. But if Robert got elected, then he would have been able to dig up secrets for what happened to his brother. He would have had full access to that stuff. If the CIA was involved, as many people believe, he would have been able to find out and heads would have rolled. He would have been the commander in chief and he would have made people pay for what they did. So that's one idea as to why the CIA may, wanted to make sure that he could not get elected. And like I said, he was not assassinated until after he had cinched the nomination before it was very uncertain, but when it was certain that he was going to be the nominee for the Democratic Party, he was killed pretty much immediately after that. I don't think we even talked about how Sirhan Sirhan was in the kitchens and he didn't know that JFK was going to be passing through the kitchens because it was a last minute change. And yet there he was crouched in a corner with a gun waiting for him. Right, and there's no possible way that he could have known that they were going to take that route. And he said he didn't go to the Ambassador Hotel to actually find Kennedy. Right. He went there because that's where the party is. And let's remind ourselves of his day. He goes shooting for six hours. He takes the gun with him to go to dinner and to go to a party. That's not what people do. Go shoot pool, hang out. People don't, especially somebody like Sirhan, who were, it just, it didn't fit his personality profile to carry a gun around with him. He had no reason to believe, to be in fear of his life. He didn't have any people who were about to beat him up or whatever. He didn't live in a particularly dangerous area, as far as I can tell. Why would he bring a gun with him? It's very strange. It is very strange. So going back to the CIA, there were CIA agents who were identified on the scene later after the fact. Yeah. Well, there's there's one more thing I wanted to mention as to why the CIA may have motive here. Okay. And that's because, um, I guess, the Bay of Pigs, at the last minute, the Kennedy administration cut off the air support. So the people that went in, we won't talk about the Bay, Bay of Pigs, that's a whole other episode, but the people who went in there to attack Fidel Castro pretty much got slaughtered. They got, they just, you know, and they would have been more successful had they had air support. The CIA, they were pissed about that because that was their people. They were close to those people and they were, you know, there were friends of friends there and they might've seen that as the Kennedy administration basically murdering their friends. That's another possible motive. They were pissed about that. They were not happy at all. It Uh, certainly made the Kennedys look like they were not as anti-communist, which was a big deal back then. Yes, a huge deal. Because 
well, we won't go into the whole communist thing. There was the Red Scare where communism was overblown, but there were absolutely communist agents in the United States doing shenanigans. Some of them were famous. There were actually a couple of man and woman executed. We'll talk about that in another episode, perhaps. Whole other can of worms. Was that the Rosenbergs, I think it was? I don't yeah. know. Um, I think they were the only people ever ever executed. If I'm, I don't know, I'm fuzzy on that one. We'll get to it in another episode, probably. Anyways, <laughs> let's move on to what you were saying about the CIA people who were seen at the hotel. Now, some of the families do dispute that in the photographs that have been brought to light, that those are their family members who are at the hotel. But the thing is, when I was looking at the evidence when we were watching this documentary, is that it's one hell of a coincidence that there's three of them. Maybe you could say one of them, oh, that's not really Morales or whatever. But to see three operatives together in the same hotel at that same time, it just seems very suspicious. Yeah, now this this gets a little murky. So there's a couple of different um couple of different angles on this one. There's one of one of them was the David Morales. That's the one that we're pretty sure was actually there that day that worked for the CIA. Remember the interview with his friend? Kind of creeped me out. They interviewed this guy, I forget his name, it was his friend. They've been lifelong friends. And he was like bragging that the CIA agent, David Morales, went to countries and had to like open open door, kick open doors and murder families, including children. He seemed to like delight in the the bloodshed. You remember this agent? Yeah, it was really weird. It was bizarre. He seemed proud of his friend having murdered children. I don't understand it. And this is... This this guy is also the person who looked at the photographs and said, no, no way, that's not David Morales. But if it was his friend, everybody else who knew David Morales that was interviewed said, yeah, that's him. A thousand percent, that's him. But if he was really close to him, he would not finger him as being on the scene. You're never going to do that in a million years. You're not going to finger your buddy as being at the scene of, scene of a crime. You just don't do it. Whether or not he was involved at all, you're never going to do that. So, right. Yeah. So, and he uh, was the only person who they interviewed who said it wasn't who him. Said it wasn't him. Everybody else yeah. said it was him. David Morales was there. So, David Morales had a long history of working for the CIA. He was, you know, helping with, uh, helping launch coups in other countries to overthrow governments. Um, <laughs> and one night in 1973, after the after these events, when they were invest reopening an investigation, oh no, that was 78. Okay, so in 73, one night he was drinking with buddies, and he told one of the buddies, he said, he was talking about RFK and JFK, and he said, we got the son of a bitch, and we got the little bastard, referring to JFK and RFK respectively, RFK would have been the little bastard. And the people said, the people that were interviewed said that, yeah, he wasn't, he didn't name any name specifically, but we knew what he meant. And he meant that he was involved somehow in the, in their, in their murders. In 1978, Morales uh, was, he, he had a drink and he fell ill on the way back from Washington. Now in 78, they opened new investigations on JFK and he would have been uh, forced to testify in front of Congress. He fell ill, 
and then had a heart attack. You feeling okay over there, Agent Ether? No, I took a nap earlier, and sometimes when I take a nap, I don't feel so good later. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. So he had he wasn't feeling well, and he had a heart attack. And it took them five hours to get him to the hospital, and he died. I, I read about that. I was like, five hours? Right. And there's no proof, but it seems like he might have been killed by the CIA to prevent him from testifying. He's one of the people that was going to testify. Now, whether or not he was really killed by the CIA or not, we will never know. His friend that was interviewed thinks that he was. But I don't know. I'm skeptical of that because he would have been loyal to the CIA. He'd been working for them for years. I don't believe for an instant that he would have spilled the beans. I think there's zero chance of that. So I'm a little skeptical that he was offed by the CIA, but you never know. It is weird that it took so long for them to get him to the hospital. So I don't know, maybe he was, maybe he had a change of heart after all these years of bloodshed of murdering children or whatever it was that he did. Maybe it finally caught up to him and, you know, he, he was ready to start talking. He was ready to squeal, as they say. I don't know. Who knows? We can only speculate. Anyways, we have pictures and film of him at various places throughout the day. And there's, you know, there's pictures and videos of him standing around, of him listening to interviews after the fact. Of We're talking about David Morales here. So he was on the scene. We have plenty of photographic evidence of that. The last thing I want to say about Morales is that there were people that knew him that were interviewed that said, he would not have been there to protect anybody. The only reason he would have been there would be for some sort of covert operation. And that the fact that he was there and that RFK uh, was assassinated, he said those two events had to have been connected. You remember that aging ether? I the do interview? Yeah. That. So that, that we'll, we'll leave it there. There's a whole lot more talking about um, Morales. Uh, um, you can save it for the bonus. Maybe save it for the bonus, bonus or episode. Or maybe just say, if you guys are interested to know more, go look that up yourself. But basically, the gist of the idea is that Sirhan was a patsy. He was meant to distract people while the real assassin did their job. And they they interviewed a covert operative. They didn't say exactly what kind of covert operative. And when they asked him about certain CIA people that were there, uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't talk about them. He said, nope. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about that person. I'm not gonna say how I know him. I'm not gonna say why I know him. I'm just not gonna talk about him. But he said that they had a lot of ways of concealing weapons, and that if they wanted to shoot somebody, they would do it in such a way to where you would never even notice that it happened. They would conceal a gun and some kind of object, and you wouldn't even notice that the gun had been fired. They creepy. Were, yeah, creepy as creepy as all get out. So somebody would have just walked up behind him, shot him, and you wouldn't even notice, especially if Sirhan was distracting them from that. So exactly, like, yeah. like I said earlier, the corridors were so crowded, anybody could have snuck up behind him and shot him in the head. Nobody would have been the wiser. All right, so we'll, let's move on there. Let's see, we'll skip this. Skip Ted Shackley. We'll skip, uh, uh, we talked about that. We'll, okay, so two of the people who were suspected of being there uh, working for the CIA turns out were probably working for the watch company Belova. They were like one was a muckety muck. The other guy was a salesman or whatever. And they looked similar to CIA people and they had, they were using aliases, I guess that were names of CIA people, which is weird, but guess what? 
Volova actually had ties to the CIA. Watch company. They make semi-luxury watches. They're not real luxury watches. They're higher end than most people buy, but they're not they're not like Rolex level or anything. But they make watches. They're people, uh, people who work for Bolova are former government employees. People say that Bolova is a front for the CIA. I did not have the time to research that. That's a whole other can of worms. But that's another weird thing about the case is you have these these people who work for this watch company basically casing the joint, right? <laughs> it's weird. That's what it looked like yeah. too in the film. It looked like they're moving. The way they're moving around isn't the same as the rest of the crowd. Yeah. And when everybody else is sort of panicking, they're just calmly walking around sort of checking stuff out, you That's, know. That is my impression as well. Collecting intelligence, doing whatever they're doing, or supervising the operation, I don't know. And they were seen with the other guy, Morales. They were seen interacting with him as well. All right. Another interesting factoid before we get out. They, um, Sirhan wanted to be hypnotized later on because he wanted to access those memories there's hypnotists that wanted to hypnotize him. The courts would not allow it. Why not? Don't know. It's kind of weird, though. I don't think I need to talk about RFK Jr., who RFK Jr. believes that um, Sirhan... I was, I was just going to say something about it, though. Okay, go ahead. Why well, because yeah. RFK Jr. is running as an independent on the 2024 ticket. He is, yes. So, and he has a lot to say in general about conspiracies. And he does indeed. <laughs> I think the problem here is because he believes in so many different conspiracies. For example, that COVID-19 was in fact engineered. Um, I think people look at the list of conspiracies he believes in and say to themselves, well, this is just one more conspiracy that he believes in. And he's obviously a nutter. They just, they're right. going to discount the fact that he thinks there was a second gunman or that there was CIA involvement because of his his general outlook. Right. Yeah. And I, I had a really long quote here about him talking about the assassination and why he believes that Sirhan was not the man that fired the lethal shot. But it's it's somewhat it's kind of redundant and we're already going like really really long here so we'll go ahead and skip over that uh there's a little tidbit here the guard caesar we were talking about earlier the police did not examine or confiscate his gun even though he offered it to them kind of weird another little piece of the cover-up maybe i don't know the security guard Caesar, his tie, he took it off at some point. Some people make something of that. I don't know what. I couldn't understand what the argument was about, but his tie was on the floor. Nobody knows how it got there. I don't know that that's important. Um, one witness, Nina Rhodes, saw a gunman to her right that shot RFK three times, apparently. Uh, and so we'll skip over some more of this stuff. And that's it for my notes. That's as far as I have. Uh, there's There is so much more to this case that we skipped over. We just did the short, 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 short version. And I hope we did it justice. But as far as I'm concerned, there are two facts. This is a really unusual case. A lot of stuff we talk about is very speculative. This is one of the very, very few cases where we have facts that disprove the official narrative. It is conclusive. Two facts are absolutely conclusive that prove there was a second gunman and that Sirhan did not file, fire the lethal shot. 
The first being that Sirhan fired from in front of Robert, not behind, and he fired at a distance of three feet, not one inch. The closest witness puts him at a foot away. Most say he was three to six feet away. In front, not behind. That conclusively proves that there had to have been another gunman because the coroner's report says conclusively, explicitly, that the bullet was fired point blank from behind. There's no way that a ricochet is going to leave powder burns. That is a fact that he was shot point blank from behind in the head. And that Sirhan could not have done that because he was not in the position to do so. That is a fact. And we have that really, really lucky find where, so I won't go through the whole story of how they found this tape, but somebody was basically recording a speech and they didn't even know that they had this audio until years after the fact, but we have a recording of the gunshots um, and we have conclusive proof that there were more than eight gunshots. So these two facts, along with other circumstantial evidence, such as the gun extra bullets lodged in the wall that we have pictures of, we have facts that prove the official narrative is not true. So for those reasons, this is a really interesting case. This is one of the very few times we get to look at something and say, here is absolute proof. And if you line that up with everything else, I think that it's a really good chance that Sirhan was a Manchurian candidate, was a distraction to you know assassinate it. And if the CIA was not totally confident in their Manchurian technology, let's say, if somebody in a trance is in a trance, they're not going to have the best of aim, especially if they're not trained at guns as well as an actual operative. Um, I think that what happened here, my opinion is that somebody else other than Sirhan shot Robert. And I think there's a good chance that that was the CIA and that he was programmed to do so, to be a distraction. I think that that's kind of my opinion on this. I don't know. What do you think, Agent Ether? I think that's a little elaborate, to be honest. If you program a Manchurian candidate, he's supposed to follow through. If he doesn't follow through, why would you have a secondary gunman? Why wouldn't you just have the secondary gunman be your primary gunman? Especially if, you know, he can, like you said, the operative that was interviewed in the covert operative said, you know, we could shoot and nobody would even know because we'd conceal it in an object, et cetera, et cetera. So why would you even have a Manchurian candidate? And aren't there better ways to cause a distraction? Does it have to be a gunman? Well, because they need the patsy. Now, I suppose that's true. Or you could just have no one be the shooter. It's complete chaos Everyone's looking around. No, because if they don't find the shooter, the investigation will continue and they will continue digging. They will identify every single face and every single photograph. I suppose. It seems very elaborate to me, though. But remember that guy that was that that operative that was interviewed saying that in an operation like this, they would have had multiple gunmen stationed all over the place to make sure that the job gets done. It freaks me out too, the idea of a man, a successful Manchurian candidate, because if the CIA is able to have an operative like that, who knows what they can do now? Well, we know that they did experiments where they successfully reprogrammed people. We don't know that they did so as a Manchurian candidate. We don't have that evidence, but we know that they were successful in some aspects of that program. And we know that that was one of their goals and that they had been researching that for decades to try to achieve that goal. 
So I don't think it's too far-fetched to imagine that they would have achieved that goal. And like I said, their goal with Sirhan was not that they needed him to kill Robert. They, they could take care of that themselves, no problem. They need a fall guy. It seems so flimsy, the whole, the whole case around him, in that you think they would have a more convincing story. Now, I know he did end up getting convicted, um, and the police investigation did conclude that he was the shooter, but then all this evidence comes out, you know, years later, but not that much later. Yeah. All these problems, all these holes in the story. I'm surprised they wouldn't have a more convincing story with less holes. Yeah. Well, whether or not he was brainwashed, I mean, remember the witnesses at this, everybody said he looked like he was in a trance. He didn't remember it after the fact. All of these things point towards this. I mean, if you had a Manchurian candidate, this is exactly what it would look like. But even if that's not the case, even if he really was just some crazy guy who decided to kill Kennedy, you know, and his his excuse for that, remember, fell through because he wrote Kennedy must die in his <clears throat> journal before he found out about the planes. So if even if we dismiss all of this stuff, all this evidence of him being a Manchurian candidate, you still can't get past the fact that there was a second gunman and that Sirhan could not have fired the lethal blow, the lethal shot. Well, also, um, one thing I look at is is that interview we were discussing with Sirhan Sirhan and just how creepy he was. And I know right. you said, oh, he's been in jail and that'll do things to people. I don't know, dude. That guy's messed up. There's something wrong with him. Well, and if you remember from the MK Ultra episode, the, the I think I was on the MK Ultra episode. Oh, you weren't? Okay. No. Well, basically, the way they would reprogram people is by breaking their minds. There was a case where they were able to take a woman in a mental institution. She was there for some reason, probably anxiety. I forget what. They were able, through their experiments, they were able to completely break her mind and cause total amnesia. Total, complete amnesia. She didn't remember anything. She didn't remember her own name. She didn't remember her husband. She didn't remember anything at all. They completely erased her mind. How creepy is that? Yeah. It's it's really quite frightening, actually, what they were able to achieve. This is what we know about. Imagine what they were able to achieve that we don't know about. And, you know, we're talking about stuff like this on the um, subliminal messages. We don't know what the mind's capable of, and we don't know what they've developed to be able to manipulate the mind. But we did mention certain things like brainwave entrainment, things like that, that we know about that does stuff. It does something. What does it do? We don't know. <laughs> but I, you bet your ass the CIA knows. I don't know. But either way, even if even if the mentoring candidate seems far-fetched, um, how do you explain? I don't know, but something's going on here. He was in the corridor where he had no way of knowing that Kennedy was going to be there. So it does appear, you know, we had the woman in the in the polka dot dress and the man who led him there. They We have a witness saying that they took him there or he went with them at the very least. So even if he wasn't programmed, maybe he was a willing participant, right? That seems more likely yeah. to me. He definitely seemed to have some kind of handlers that led him to that spot. He didn't seem to find that spot on his own because there's no possible way he could have known where to be at that time. What are the chances that he would just randomly be in the right place at the right time with a gun that he just so happened to bring with him? It's just, it's a little too improbable for me to buy. And because we know there was a CIA guy on the scene and we know that he was led 
through that corridor, through these people who appear to be operatives. I don't know, dude. Uh, who knows what actually happened? Something definitely stinks, and the evidence definitely proves that there was a second gunman there, or gunwoman, as the case may be. I don't know. It's a weird case, but we know that Sirhan was not the only gunman there. Also, it's just a shame. It is just a shame, yeah. Who knows what kind of positive outcomes might have happened if Bobby would have lived and become the president. Right. How it would have shaped our country and our future. Yeah. It's just sad. Instead, we got Nixon, who was, you know, <laughs> I did I did a bonus episode on him. He was kind of a dirtbag. Just, you know, just to mention one thing, there was a journalist that had published a story that had caused him the election against JFK. And when he was president, Nixon actually drew up a plan to assassinate that journalist. And the only reason he didn't was because he was caught for the Watergate thing. <laughs> That's the only reason. He w- he had plans to assassinate a journalist. This is who Nixon was. And this is not who Bobby was. Bobby Kennedy was not that person. So, I don't know. History is what it is. And there there was a, what was it, a fixed point in time? Yes. Aging Ether. <laughs> uh, watching too much Doctor Who. Fixed yeah. point in time. Yeah, it's just sad. It's really sad. Uh, out of all the politicians out there, uh, Bobby Kennedy did seem to be a genuinely good person. So it's really sad that uh, he was lost when he was. Whether or not, whatever your political affiliation, you know, um, I think there are some people who are good people, regard left, right, center, whatever. There are good people. And when you lose one of them, it's it's just sad. But I guess that's our final thoughts, I guess. I don't know, any any. Final, final thoughts, Agent Ether? No, no, that's good. All right. Well, I guess we're going to end it there for now. All right. Donut, Donut Slayer says, great show. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening, Donut Slayer. And thanks for the thanks. <laughs> um, we're going to end it there now. I think uh, we've gone, we're almost at two hours. <laughs> I knew it. And we didn't even go into stuff in detail. We're at an hour 37 and we just skimmed over everything. We didn't, there's so much we didn't even talk about. So if you're curious to know more about this case, look into it yourself. It is a rabbit hole. I guarantee you, you will go down that rabbit hole because it is crazy. There are books, there are articles, there are blogs, there are interviews, there are documentaries. I would start with the documentary RFK Must Die. It is on YouTube. You can watch it for free. Start there. It is excellent. But if you watch that, they go over stuff in that so quickly that I guarantee you're going to want to read more about it. You're going to want to dig in and find out more. So until next time, thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, you could really help us out by leaving us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts, suggesting and suggesting the show to your friends. Keep it strange.